The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. History Versus is a production of iHeartRadio and Mental Floss. You often hear Theodore Roosevelt described as larger than life which I think we can all agree is pretty accurate. And as with many other larger-than-life characters, there are plenty of myths and misconceptions surrounding TR, some of which were encouraged and perpetuated by Roosevelt himself. As Kathleen Dalton writes in Theodore Roosevelt's A Strenuous Life, he sought to keep his inner life and less attractive traits well hidden. He also encouraged his friends and authorized biographers to tell an upbeat, socially acceptable, stiff-upper-lipped version of his life. Many of his friends and biographers obliged him. Dalton goes on to say that the guardians of his story would edit or destroy letters they deemed embarrassing, and would even hide the family's secrets to present a better picture of Roosevelt's life. A lot of his fact-checking stuff is to do with his legacy. They're really intertwined because these myths and legends are such a part of the story. That's Mental Floss's fact-checker, Austin Thompson, who has been taking a magnifying glass to stories on Mental Floss's website and to our YouTube videos for years. And he looked at every script of this podcast, too. He knows better than many how complicated unraveling the truth behind history can be. So for this final bonus episode of History Versus, I couldn't wait to get him on the phone to debunk some TR myths and talk fact-checking one of the most famous figures in history. I found an absolutely brilliant 1912 New York Times article about Theodore Roosevelt, which was saying, if you had four experts who swore that he boiled his grandmother and ate her in the 1890s, he would come back with documentary proof (laughs) that she actually died in the 1880s. Just a quick break here to say that when Austin was fact-checking the script, he realized that he'd misremembered what the article said. It was actually 20 experts, not four. Okay, carry on. If you have people who swear under oath that he had a meeting with Standard Oil at this date, he would come back with a dated photograph of him talking to a mother's congress. I think it really has to do with that he does come 
to the White House and Hall of History from a perspective of being a historian. So he knows that he's great. He knows his greatness. Everyone his entire life has been clear he is great. He can produce dated evidence for anything he, you might say he did. I think it's because he wanted to control his historical view in a way that other people wouldn't, but nowadays we wouldn't think is that weird. When we were putting these episodes together, the general process went like this. I came up with the themes for each episode, then put together outlines that pulled together a ton of information around those themes. In each outline were sources, quotes, and beats that I wanted to hit, along with pieces of the interviews I conducted that I wanted to include. Then the writer, sometimes me, sometimes another mental floss staffer, would use that outline to write the script, which would go through an editing process where myself and members of the production team would weigh in and make tweaks. And finally, before I recorded, the script would go to Austin, and he'd dig in. And I mean, really dig in. Not only did he find errors, hey, I'm not perfect, but he would also nearly always find some new piece of information or interesting story that I'd want to include. As I was researching Theodore Roosevelt and looking at all sorts of things, there were two things that struck me about him. That one made fact-checking a lot easier, the other one made it basically impossible. He mythologizes, but you can get so much information about him from other sources that aren't him. It'll be like, you spent five minutes with him ten years ago. You're suddenly writing a book, the time I spent with Theodore Roosevelt the family he's staying with in Germany, who's saying, oh, he's going to be president. That all exists independent of anything he did. So he is in control of his image to a certain extent, but there's such a world that you can pretty much verify most things he's saying. And then the other thing that makes it harder is the change that we've talked about, is the changing views of Theodore Roosevelt. That's like, If you read something from the 1910s, it is a different perspective than if you read something from the 1940s. It's lucky because with Theodore Roosevelt, we have so many of his primary documentation, but it's still really hard to sort of sift through all of that to say, well, is this person saying this about Theodore Roosevelt because this is actually how it is, or just because that was the prevailing view at the time? Also, socioculturally, we like to think of history as this great monolithic thing. It happened, and now we can just kind of go back and look at bits and pieces of it. We, as a culture, don't, I don't think we really like to view history as having trends. That there are differences in how history is being viewed from one day to another, one culture to another. We're not taught to think of history in that way. So when you're fact-checking something like the podcast scripts, do you usually try to go for the primary documentation first? Or in the case of Theodore Roosevelt, when you know that he did not like to write about things that were difficult, like for example, he didn't include his first wife in his autobiography at all, are you looking elsewhere when you're fact-checking? Well... It depends on the thing. I mean, you know he is there to tell a story. So as long as you read it, read what he says, knowing 
this is the story he wants you to hear, then I always like to go back to primary sources because Roosevelt just gave us so many of them. <laughs> and as I said, so many of the people who even interacted with him briefly would be writing books about the events that happened. It is when you get into more sort of obscure, especially obscure leaders or figures in history, that it does start to really become a problem of how much weight are you willing to put on the secondary source? I'm sure if you read some of my podcast suggestions, there are times when it'll be really awkwardly suggesting, saying, <laughs> this person said this. And that's because, I mean, it's maybe true, but these other sources say it aren't necessarily as strong. So we often go back and forth and play like a little bit of like, is this okay? What do you think about this phrasing? Because we don't want to mislead anybody, right? We want to make sure that we're, that we're being accurate. I have spent ages, like I don't even know how long, debating whether a single word <laughs> is correct. Because it's like, it does make a difference. Do you want to get into some myths now or do you, do you have other thoughts? I think so. <laughs> I don't think I've got anything else that I wanted to talk about the process of fact-checking. It's just kind of like you go through documents and then you try to decide, is this reasonable? Is this accurate? Does this person say what this person says? Is this person correct? Is this person citing some lost documentation that was found at the top of a monastery in outer Uzbekistan and then the monastery burned down? So you're relying entirely on them. It's hard. TR Myths coming up after the break. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com iHeart. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. 
And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. In the course of making this podcast, we came across a number of TR myths and misconceptions, some of which we touched upon briefly in the regular episodes and some we just didn't have time to get to. So we figured we'd finish up this season by digging deeper into a few of them. And if you're going to take on TR myths and misconceptions, you might as well start at the beginning. Everyone knows that Theodore Roosevelt was a sickly, asthmatic kid who, after a directive from his father, built his body to the point where he had cured himself of asthma. Right? Well, not so fast. According to Theodore Roosevelt, that is what happened. But there's a really interesting paper from a couple years ago, The Misunderstood Asthma of Theodore Roosevelt, which makes medical interesting. So it says, no, the asthma went away when he was somewhere between 12 to 15. And that's about the age you'd expect the asthma to lighten itself up, even if he was doing absolutely nothing. As the paper notes, this phenomenon is well-recognized by clinicians today, but was unknown in TR's time. Looking back at TR's inference, it is tempting to speculate about how his misplaced sense of accomplishment may have influenced his thinking about what else he might achieve if he set his mind to solving new problems. In reality, his asthma didn't fully go away. And in fact, it sometimes reared its ugly head later on in his life. When Edith was in labor, Alice, his daughter Alice, remarked something like, the train and my father came in wheezing as he rushed to be by her side. He had asthma attacks throughout his entire life, but they were not as bad. According to the article, at the time and for all of Theodore Roosevelt's life, Asthma was thought to be psychosomatic. The idea that they thought at the time asthma was psychosomatic, I think probably was a really big part of why Theodore Roosevelt wanted to proclaim himself as having cured his asthma. I mean, this is a guy who thinks basically everything is weaker than he is. Mm -hmm. So if he's truly viewing that his asthma is entirely in his head, I can it makes sense to me why he would then pretend that it wasn't. That's my opinion on the matter, but yeah. Okay, this is uh, one of my favorites. So there is a photo floating around <laughs> on the internet in which Theodore Roosevelt is riding a moose. So did Theodore Roosevelt ever ride a moose? Well, not that we know. <laughs> He spent a lot of he spent a lot of time in Maine, so but no, the picture is definitely fake. But it was never supposed to be viewed as real. It was from a nineteen twelve New York Tribune, and 
if you just take the picture by itself, it's, whoa, manly, that's awesome. But the whole triptych is Taft riding an elephant, Theodore Roosevelt riding a moose, and Woodrow Wilson riding a donkey. It's for the president, and they were whatever the 1912 version of Photoshopped was onto the animal of the respective party. And then I can only imagine someone found a copy of that picture and thought Theodore Roosevelt manly and went with it. What I think is kind of interesting about that picture, though, is since that was debunked several years ago, is there's a secondary myth that has since emerged that the New York Tribune made up that picture as a way to help Roosevelt. Where that's not true either. There's no evidence. I mean, yes, in the picture, Theodore Roosevelt is bigger than the other two, but there's nothing in the New York Tribune to suggest that it's being done to support Roosevelt at the expense of the other candidates. But it's just a sort of weird secondary myth that emerged after the first myth was debunked. It says a lot about a president, by what kind of myths surround them as we go back. So George Washington, he's not telling a lie. Abraham Lincoln, he's beating 300 people in a wrestling match. It's a myth, but we still want to attach because it's truthfulness and ruggedness on the frontier. Meanwhile, the great myth about William Howard Taft is he gets stuck in the bathtub. So I think it says a lot about Roosevelt's misconceptions Almost all of the misconceptions we're going to be going through, they have to do with how manly he is. He, by force of will, he punked his asthma. He rode a moose. And I think that says a lot, not about Theodore Roosevelt, but about how our view of Theodore Roosevelt is shaped. So one thing that you will often see floating around, it has to do with when TR was sworn in after William McKinley was assassinated. So... TR was uh, on vacation in the mountains. Um, McKinley takes a turn for the worse. He barrels down to Buffalo to try to make it to uh, the president's side. The president dies. And TR is sworn in in some guy's house in Buffalo on not a Bible. And so the, the myth is, or the popular conception is, that TR is the first president who was not sworn in on a Bible. Yeah, that is, most of those facts are fine until you get right to the end with the Bible back. The story is just that they were in such a rush, they couldn't grab a Bible. But the guy whose house it was, Ainsley Wilcox, he commented later that there were, there were loads of Bibles around the house. It just didn't occur to anyone to use the Bible because that was not the tradition in the area they were in at the time. So... You do have earlier that definitely didn't do a Bible. John Quincy Adams says explicitly in his diary it was on a book of law. And then later it's sort of hit or miss who's on a Bible because most people weren't explicit in recording that until later. But I think the interesting one is after Theodore Roosevelt, the Calvin Coolidge, when he's inaugurated after the death of Harding, he is the exact same thing, that they had a Bible at hand, but it wasn't used because that wasn't the tradition of the area. So it it just would not have occurred. 
occurred to anyone that, oh yeah, we need to use this Bible until later. So yes, Theodore Roosevelt was sworn in without a Bible. No, he wasn't the first. And despite what some seem to think, no, there's absolutely zero meaning to such a thing other than nobody thought of it at the time. But then, you know, like uh, when he was actually elected of his own accord, wasn't he sworn in on the Bible at that point? Yes. See, he, he wasn't making any point. It's just in upstate New York, they didn't use Bibles and nobody thought anything of it until afterwards. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's how you do it in the rest of the country. Huh. Okay, I have one more note here for something that um, it's just a question mark. Tattoo? Question mark? Oh, God. <laughs> and I feel yeah. like we have to talk about it because we've talked about it before. <laughs> it's like tattoos and judicial recall. Those are the two stories I've been hoping to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the rumor goes that Theodore Roosevelt had a tattoo on his chest of the Roosevelt family crest. And it's everywhere. But, dot, 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 and I'll let you take it from there. Probably not, but maybe. Is is that enough? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I spent, I don't even want to think how long, trying to figure out, like, did he have a tattoo? And... In the end, my guess is probably not, because there are clear descriptions of him doing things bare-chested when a tattoo would have been notable, but nobody commented on it. That being said, they might just not have commented on it. And there aren't many pictures of, like, a shirtless Roosevelt during during the time period where he's said to have the tattoo. I was really hoping that I could find his autopsy report, but it turned out he didn't have an autopsy after he died. So <laughs> This got dark. That, that's the kind of thing you have to look at. Yeah. It just goes to show the lengths that you will go to <laughs> to figure something out. Uh, yeah. And so I then tried to trace the myth back, and I don't think I was able to get the myth before the 1970s. So there's like a 50-year gap where there's no mention of Theodore Roosevelt having a tattoo. Then it just kind of appears. And I've never, despite lots and lots of looking, been able to close that gap. So that is not proof that he didn't have a tattoo, but I'm pretty confident he didn't. Because as I said, there were times when people are describing his bare chest and the tattoo would have been noteworthy and they didn't comment on it. Yeah. So we end where we begin. Tattoo? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Are you sick of Theodore Roosevelt yet? No, I'm not sick of Theodore Roosevelt because he's just interesting. I mean, that's why he's such a good person for the first season of this podcast because I was thinking it's there aren't that many people who have reinvented themselves so many times most people are fairly consistent in their lives Theodore Roosevelt he was like never more than five six years at any one thing in his entire career which makes him a very interesting person to research and 
you just keep learning new things about him. I mean, one of the things I find amazing about Theodore Roosevelt is that his entire life, he just kind of, he just kind of overshadowed everyone around him. People at the time were saying William McKinley was essentially the next Lincoln. He was viewed as a truly great president. And now, William McKinley who? Yeah. <laughs> he makes lists of the most forgotten presidents, and that's because Theodore Roosevelt is just this force of nature that everything around him is dimmed by his incredible Theodore Roosevelt-ness. Yeah, a very bright light. A huge thanks to Austin Thompson for hopping on the phone to chat and for fact-checking every episode of this podcast. I truly could not have done it without him. And with that, we're wrapping up this first season of the podcast. I have to be honest, we did not intend to stick with TR this long. We had initially planned to launch a new season in June, and then COVID-19 happened and messed up all of our best laid plans. But I'm happy to announce that we'll be back in early 2021 with a brand new season of the podcast, although it's going to be slightly different than what we did for this first season. First, we're going to be changing the name of this feed so that we can put all of our Mental Floss podcasts here, though we'll only be doing one season at a time, so don't worry, we won't be spamming you. Also, rather than bring you another season of History Verses, we're going to explore a different topic with a different host but I promise it's incredibly compelling and the host is someone you've heard on this podcast before. And there is a bit of a TR connection. So stay tuned. History Versus is hosted by me, Erin McCarthy. This episode was written by me with fact-checking by Austin Thompson. The executive producers are Erin McCarthy, Julie Douglas, and Tyler Klang. The supervising producer is Dylan Fagan. The show is edited by Dylan Fagan and Lowell Berlanti. For transcripts, photos, and even more about Theodore Roosevelt, check out our website at mentalfloss.com slash historyverses. History Verses is a production of iHeartRadio and Mental Floss. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.
You ever get that feeling like the concrete jungles closing in? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to chase your own dinner, or just breathe clean air. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there waiting, and finding your piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, price, location. They've got it all. No matter what kind of wild dream you're chasing, land.com can help you find the ground to make it a reality. So quit dreaming. Head over to land.com, find your open space, and get out there.